Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about the best and worst things you can do for your risk of falling is Dr. Catherine Forth. Dr. Forth is the CEO and co-founder of Zibrio and its technology that allows simple and safe balance measurement to help people reduce, reduce fall risk and improve their balance. She has a doctorate in motor control and conducted a postdoctoral fellowship at NASA. She is an expert in postural stability and has created award-winning balance training programs for older adults. She is also a world champion athlete. Thank you for being here, being here today, Dr. Forth. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Very much. Um, before we get started, for those that are joining us live on the webinar, if you have any questions, type those questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Dr. Forth, let's talk about the best and worst things you can do for your risk of falling. Yeah, well, I mean, falling down is such a complicated thing. So there's lots to talk about. And I've given you the uh, thumbs up and thumbs down to try and make it a little clearer as we go through these slides. And let's see if we can get the slides to advance. There we go. All right, just as you heard, um, I have a lot of background in research for postural stability, but also the practical side of it as an athlete myself, and, um, and also creating balance training uh, programs, which um, actually won the Young Investigators Award at the World Expo in 2000. So I've been doing this for a long time, inside and out, I think you could say. So let's start off with what is balance? For us to even understand full risk and what are the possible uh, reasons for, for full risk? We need to understand balance. Well, so when you're standing up or even sitting down, if you take your center of central gravity, project that down to the ground. So you can see on this, uh, this model, the green dot projected all the way down. If that projection stays in the base of support, so where your feet are, then you're balanced. It's, it's that easy. But this isn't easy. <laughs> this is somebody standing on a tightrope. That base of support is very, very narrow. And so she has to concentrate really hard to try and make sure she is maintaining her balance. So that's the balance side. Well, let's now talk about the, the opposite end of the spectrum, which is falling down. When that projection extends outside of the base of support, that is when a fall occurs. Um, we have the official, official definition here, which is uh, a rapidly free movement that doesn't have control from a higher level to a lower level. But we all know what losing your balance is like, and it's not fun to do, and people can get hurt quite considerably. Now, for older adults particularly, it is very relevant. One in four, or 28% of older adults over 65, fall down every single year. Now this is a huge number of people that fall down and some of them create really nasty injuries and some not so bad, but in the end, we want to make sure that nobody falls down. But falling across all ages is the number one reason for trauma death and trauma injury. So we know falling is a really bad problem in the older adults. It results in $50 billion in medical costs every single year, and that's due to double in the next decade. So these statistics are staggering, but yet, if you just ask somebody, they don't really think of themselves as being at risk for falling. Well, that's because it's actually very complicated. So how do we even avoid a fall? There's over 21 risk factors 
for you to try and sort out, or even your doctor has to try and think through. Medical conditions, um, of course, age is part of that too, but um, different behaviors that you engage in. We'll, we'll get through some of these, but it's complicated. So the CDC says, okay, to reduce falls, how do we do this? They say you first screen for fall risk and then intervene. So when you find the people who are at risk for falling, you can then help guide them so that they can do the right thing so that you can ultimately prevent that fall that was expected to happen. Seems simple enough. I mean, it's the, the usual way we do anything. If you want to lose weight, you measure yourself, you see where you are, you do some things, and then you check again to see, did it even work? be a bit strange if you didn't actually measure yourself for weight in a weight loss program. And that's come, that brings us to our first worst thing to do, and that is not measuring yourself. If you think now about yourselves, how well do you balance? Could you even say? You probably have a bit of an idea, but you certainly can't say on a scale of one to 10, I know I am definitely at six. If we're walking blindly, we can't possibly have any kind of chance to avoid these falls. And that's why in medicine and in health and wellness, people measure all sorts of things, you know, Fitbit and um, your Apple Watch, uh, blood pressure, weight. These are all things that you try and measure to then predict a potential outcome so that you can actually do something in advance to avoid that outcome. Blood pressure, of course, um, cholesterol, you're trying to avoid a heart attack and heart disease. So with balance and falling, it's a very similar thing. We want to be able to measure that balance and fall risk so that you can see into the future and not be blind, and then you can take action. So there we go, there's the first thumbs down. Now, if you use a test that can measure fall risk, you might think, okay, I'm doing, I'm going to have a thumbs up on this one, but actually there's a lot of things out there that aren't very good predictors. Um, I live in Houston, Texas. We have another hurricane on its way. Here is a, a map that um, is making a joke about prediction models for hurricanes. Um, it can be a mess. Sometimes, sometimes you get good predictors, some models are not such good predictors. And it's the same for fall risk as well. There are some out there that just aren't that good at predicting. Now, the common ones that we think of when we measure balance and even fall risk are things like um, these functional tests. There's the stand on one leg, how long can I do it for? The tandem stance, that's the, the heel toe standing. Um, and then there's the more official timed get up and go, where you're sitting, you stand up, you walk three meters, turn around, come back, sit back down again, and that is timed. Now, these tests are used in the clinic, they can be used um, functionally in many different settings, but actually they're not good predictors. And another, another piece that's often used is fall history. If you've fallen before, that means you're surely likely to fall again. And, and yes, that is true. But in terms of predicting who will fall, it still isn't a great predictor. It is a predictor, but not a great predictor. So Zebrio is a smart scale. This is novel technology starting to use artificial intelligence to really get down to the essence of, can we, ex can we expose a weakness in someone's balance, even though they may be 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, um, something that you wouldn't be able to look at them and say, oh yeah, I, I can tell they're a full risk. 
but expose something that is perhaps in decades in advance of perhaps expressing it in a functional test. So the Zebrio Smart Scale uses artificial intelligence when you're just standing with your eyes open, just like you stand on a weighing scale, and it does give you a weight too. Um, and then it gives you an easy to understand score of one to 10. 10 is the best, that's like Simone Biles on a good day. One, two, and three is high risk for falling. Four, five, six is moderate risk. And once you know this, there's some software that guides you through to improve. It is highly predictive. It identifies two to four times more at-risk individuals than the currently used clinical practices. So I mentioned that just because we're going to be using it in some of the examples later. So back to that CDC process. Step one, measure for risk. Okay, let's say we've, we've identified people who are at risk for falling. The next step is intervention and treatment. Thumbs up to exercise. I think everybody is knows intuitively that exercise is going to help you to balance better and to reduce your risk for falling. So I've put that little green dot and the, uh, uh, the extension, the projection of that center of gravity down to the ground just so that you can um, start to think of these different activities in the context of balance. And, um, and yet there's an awful lot of different things that you can do to, to make sure that your body is functioning in its best possible way and, um, and balance is no exception there. Here's an example where we measured somebody and, uh, and we saw as they engaged in physical activity that their score, their balance went up and their fall risk went down. So this particular person was 87, her name's Judy. She did score low, she did fall as we would have predicted and then she was prescribed physical therapy. And she also carried on by doing balance classes in her senior living facility. Her score went up and it maintained all the way up until the holidays. Now in this particular facility, they actually cancel the exercise classes for a month across the holidays, which is a terrible idea for balance. And sure enough, we measured that Judy's score plummeted. When she resumed her exercise, it went back up again, and she maintained that all the way through till the next year when the, the holidays hit again and she dipped down, but it only took one test for her to know, uh, I know what to do. And, uh, and her exercise regime continued and, uh, and up she went again. So this is really showing you a number of things. It's showing you that, um, that balance changes very quickly and it can, it can change for the good and for the bad as well. And in this particular situation, it is the, the, balance, um, the balance exercises and the PT that's really helping. All right, I have a thumbs down on this exercise now. Um, could be a bit controversial, so bear with me on this. Swimming, when you swim, lots of amazing things that you get from swimming um, for your general aerobic capacity and flexibility, but, um, but you're buoyant when you actually swim. So, um, so the challenge to the, uh, to the balance system isn't going to be as strong as if you were as if you were doing land-based land-based exercises. So swimming, excellent activity, maybe not quite so stimulating for your balance system and for improving uh, your risk of falling. Then we've got just walking. So walking's great, walking's good. Walking is helpful for your balance, 
but it's probably not enough because you're in just one plane of movement all the time. It's quite an automated process. So if you're walking on a flat, uh, flat ground, um, it's not challenging your sensory systems as much as perhaps you need it to be. So then we move into cycling. Cycling, sitting down, you are stimulating your vestibular system with uh, some of the g-forces and things and you have to balance on the bike so that's great but in terms of the ambulatory balance that you would want to have this perhaps isn't stimulating you as much as if you were doing something on your feet so again it's like a, a soft little thumbs down but uh, we'll be dramatic and say strong thumbs down so here are some exercises that um are more of a thumbs up. So, you know, somebody who is walking, but now they're trying to catch a butterfly. <laughs> I, I'm using this as just an example because now the vision is actually occupied. They're looking at something. They're not looking at the ground or looking at their feet. They can't use that vision for balance. So it's more challenging. So that, that's good if you want to improve and boost your balance. Soccer, um, if you wanted to kick a ball, you now have to stand on one foot. Your vision is also looking at at an object too, and you're looking at that um, foot-eye coordination. So this is a more challenging environment. Hiking, um, if you're on terrain that's uneven, then that's going to be more challenging than flat surface. So you see where I'm going with this. If you want to improve balance, then you want to uh, stimulate the system, the body's balance systems to get a better effect. All right, so some of the best ones out there, you've got this very specific balance training that can be done, and Tai Chi. Tai Chi, time and again, has come through studies to show it reduces the rate of falls. So I think part of what we can think about with both of those two things is that if you can improve your balance, your coordination is better, your reaction time, your agility, your mobility, you can reduce the chance of having injuries from having better balance. All of these things help to reduce your risk of falling. Again, another controversial one, got to make it exciting, yoga. People assume yoga is, you know, it's balance, it's, it's, uh, it's working on their balance, and of course it is, but it's quite static. So when you compare yoga to say Tai Chi, there is in fact a difference. So the static poses, you become very good at doing those specific poses. And we want to add a bit more dynamism into it, whether it's stimulation to the sensory systems or to the motor system. And Tai Chi, even though it's, it's slow and controlled, you're adding this dynamism to it, which the body has to constantly adjust to. So it's a great recalibrating movement for your body's balance control systems. So I believe that's where Tai Chi really has the edge and gets the thumbs up. So across balance health, we've defined six pillars of balance. This is based on those 21 risk factors for falling. So the top two uh, pie wedges are exercise and, and strength related things. We've talked, we've talked about that, but we've got some others here now. Let's talk about sleep. Big thumbs down for poor sleep. If you have a bad night's sleep, even just one, your balance can drop up to 40%. So very, very dramatic. It's really noxious to your, to your balance to have poor sleep. And it could be that you are chronically poor in, in sleep, so you have chronic, more chronic fatigue from the, the lack of sleep, or even in acute phase 
from that one particular night. Either way, you have to be very careful about your sleep and know that if you do feel tired, your balance will be worse that particular day and it is measurable as well. Another part of this pie wedge, uh, clinical medical conditions. Now we can't do a lot about this. Um, I mean, we want to try and manage these conditions as much as we can, but it's important to acknowledge that a medical condition will compromise you in your balance and also be, a, be one of the, the bad things for your full risk as well. Now, here's an example of Elizabeth. I feel like the examples are perhaps the, the best anyway. She also started low in the high risk range for falling. She did do her balance exercise and Tai Chi and her score went up just as we would expect it to. Then she had a medical problem and as we would expect, her score really dropped and it took her right back down to that high risk range again. And she did have surgery um, to try and fix some of those clinical, clinically um, wrong things. Um, so this is all intuitive, you know, we don't need to really measure to truly know this benefit, but what happened next was fascinating. She started bouncing around all over the place. And, and what she found is that when she rested more, um, she started to take a nap in the day, she found that her score went up, her balance was better, her full risk was low for that particular day or moment in time. But when she had bad nights, I mean, her score was just plummeting. So when you're trying to think through full risk, it isn't quite as simple as I do my exercise, I'm fine, I've got a medical condition, I'm not fine. It's, it's a lot more complicated. That's where the, the CDC says you need to measure it to begin with. So medications, we're on the, uh, the sixth, uh, fifth of the six. If you have, if you're taking less than four medications, then that's considered much better for your balance and a lower risk for falling. If you um, are taking four or more medications, that's considered a risk factor for falling. So you can't do much about medication sometimes, but it does, it does beg a, a conversation with your doctor about you know, what's necessary, um, what's the right combination of, of medications, and, and also knowing that when you change medications like blood pressure medications, you can actually have a two week period that your body's adjusting and your balance is affected for, for those two weeks. So keep it under four and we get the, the green thumbs up. Now, stress, anxiety, and fear. Um, these, these features of our mental health also do compromise our balance and and we need to be aware of that we know that when we have poor sleep it's a little bit hard to separate out the stress and the poor sleep but <clears throat> but when um when you do have anxiety of some kind it's going it is going to actually negatively affect your balance but let's talk about fear of falling it's a bit of a mixed bag because if you are on the edge of a cliff and and you have a strong fear of falling, that's going to be quite protective. You're going to be very, very careful on the edge of that, that cliff. But if you're feeling super confident, really relaxed, and you're on the edge, you actually might end up falling. So, <laughs> so we do want to keep the context um, at the front of our mind for this. Now with older adults, if you are high risk, and you have a fear of falling, 
you know, it has some protective value for them. Um, it's not where we want them to be. We want them to be mobile and capable. But if they um, are very vulnerable at that particular point, we want a, a certain level of fear is healthy to keep them to keep them safe. Now, the job of any caregiver is to then move them through so their physical capability is better, and then you get the um, improve the fear or reduce the fear as you go along with that physical capability. So the flip side is if, if you are physically capable and you have an increased and an unusual fear of falling, that increases your risk for falling. So, so yes, if you're capable, then that fear is going to hurt you. But if you're, um, if you already are, if you actually truly are at high risk of falling, then it may have some protective uh, effects to it. So self-care. When we think about ourselves, when we think about even caregivers, um, we do need to think about self-care. Ellen is a personal trainer. And you would think, all right, she's a personal trainer. She must be really fit. She must be right on top of her game. And most of the time, that's true for Ellen. She, um, she is in her 60s, by the way, just to give you that context. Ellen started off when she first measured herself. She was actually down in that high-risk range, which shocked her, um, as it should. But then on reflection, Ellen realized that while she's training everybody else, she wasn't looking after herself. She wasn't doing all of the exercise that she was having others do because she was she was busy. Um, so this really helped her to then start doing all those things, all the pieces of exercise that she knew was the right thing to do. Um, she was training herself now and her score went up in a matter of a week. So, um, of course, that that maintained through that that um, a good. Yeah, a good kind of week after that. She also then sought out um, a chiropractor because she had a bit of a, a knee thing that was happening. She'd been meaning to go for a while and, and she felt that that had a benefit to her too. So that the main thing here is that you don't quite know what it is for Ellen, but she, she knew what she wasn't doing for herself and it spurred her on to want to do the things that she knew for her own self-care and it had a positive effect. Which takes me to what is the, the biggest thumbs up of all of this? And that is that we need to personalize 21 risk factors, six pillars of balance. I mean, this is a lot to have to think through or, or to manage. So it's not everything for everybody in terms of what is most relevant. You need to find and prioritize what's the thing for you. For Ellen, it was um, boosting up her, her exercise regime and, and doing some more self-care. For uh, Elizabeth, she needed to have more rest and sleep. And, and for Judy, she needed to keep engaging with her, her exercise regime. So these were insights that they were gaining. And, and then once you know, you can personalize it to yourself because you may be doing uh, lots of great exercise, but then you have a bad night's sleep. And, and you're thinking, I feel so wobbly and, and something's not right. It's very hard to be motivated when there's so many different factors that can affect you. So personalization is absolutely necessary for any full, full risk, um, improving your full risk and full reduction. So just to summarize here, and then we can open it up to some questions. This feedback loop of you measure, and then you intervene. This allows you to then 
um, personalize either for yourself or you have a clinician that helps to personalize or an activity director or trainer that helps to personalize it for you. But that feedback loop, if you go back to the very beginning of, of going in blindly, if you have a feedback loop, you can then see what's working for me and then you can be the person and you can have the full risk level that you would like to have. So I think with that, I think let's go to some questions. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Forth. Quite a few questions, as you can, as you can imagine. Uh, the first question talks about inner ear. What role does the inner ear have to do with balance and, and kind of how important is inner ear health? Great, great question. Um, people often think when they think balance, like inner ear, that's that's it. That's the be all and end all. It's one of three senses that contributes to your balance stability. Um, vision being the other, inner ear, and then also you've got this network of, of receptors throughout your body that tells you where you are in space and when you're touching things. That's called proprioception. And um, so the inner ear can be very disruptive because if there is a problem there, um, if you've been relying on that sense and now suddenly it's telling you the wrong thing, it can make you feel dizzy, which can lead to falls in of itself. So, so a very important sensory part for sure. Um, but there is some value in boosting up the other senses to try and compensate. The body's amazing in that way, adapting to um, different, different contexts and, uh, and different ways to achieve the same thing. So if you're a caregiver, whether it's a personal or professional, can you look at somebody and determine if they're a, call, a fall risk, Dr. Forth? Yeah, people naturally think that that's the case. And, and I'm, I will absolutely tell you that is not the case. We've had people coming to us with a, with a walker. <laughs> and they come over, they measure themselves, and you would think, okay, clearly somebody with a walker, they must be at risk for falling. And turns out they scored in the green. Uh, we asked them, who prescribed them the walker and they said oh it was my late husband's I took it when he died <laughs> so um, that's one example now frailty in of itself is a worry um, because of the osteoporosis um, status that, that that might indicate um, but that's slightly different from what the fall risk is that just means that the consequence of a fall is that much greater um, but yeah we've we've tested 20 year olds 30 year olds and and you would be surprised um, people who look quite fit and healthy um, suddenly are scoring worse than uh, than they thought that they should. We, we actually see it at 68% of people score differently than what they think they should score. Most people think that they're higher than they actually are. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about health. So you mentioned the lack of sleep and how that can impact your fall risk. What if somebody gets sick and they get a, they get a cold? Obviously, we're getting into flu season. So can you maybe expound on that a little bit for us? Yes, absolutely. Colds, flus, that all affects you. Um, the, the balance system, it involves your sensory information, your sensory systems, your muscle systems, your nervous system, your central nervous system, your brain. If any of that gets disrupted, then your balance will get disrupted and it gets expressed in balance. So given that balance is so such a complicated inter intertwined uh, system of systems, um, it can actually be one of the first alerts that something's not quite right. Anecdotally, we've seen somebody score low uh, just the day before they came down with the flu. Um, I'd love to see how this, people who are, 
actually getting infected with COVID. I'd love to see um, see them measured before they, they get the positive COVID test because I'm pretty sure that we'd be able to detect that something's not quite right in the system, even if they are asymptomatic. So colds and flus, it, it does a number on your body and it can get expressed in a number of different ways. We have the typical cold and flu symptoms, um, but there's other ways that it gets expressed as well, and balance being one of them. A couple more questions. So talking about your risk of falls. So if you're at risk, Dr. Forth, does that mean you're at risk for every type of fall? Oh, these are good questions, aren't they? Um, yeah, so the type of fall that you experience, um, there's many different types. You've got things like a slip or a trip, or um, just a loss of stability. You could have somebody bump into you and actually knock you down somewhat, or you, you fall over a dog. Um, so given the complexity of all these different types of falls means that it makes it really hard to predict. So as I mentioned right at the beginning about these different functional tests and how they've got low predictive capability, well, this is partly why. You could be amazing at balancing, and but yet, you could walk, it's a slippy floor, you didn't know it was wet, and you're looking up and around and your foot slips out and down you go. Does that mean that you were at high risk of falling before that moment? Um, physically, if you were very capable, then, then no, you would have, certainly on our test, you would have scored in the green, and we would have said you are a low risk of falling, which is a low probability for falling. One of the nice things about this particular uh, number and scale is that you can then understand what type of fall people are most likely to experience. So if you are low risk, probability for falling is low, but you're most likely to experience a slip or a trip um, if you were in fact to fall. So somebody asked a question. So you have the six, I think there were six pillars um, that impact your, your fall risk. Why are there so many factors that, that kind of part that play a part in this? Why is that? Yeah, it comes down to the the systems, the multiple systems that are involved in balance. It, you can, you've got these three kind of ways that balance is expressed. You have the sensory input coming in, you've got the processing of it, and then you've got the, uh, the motor output. If anything happens along that chain, you will have a problem with balance. And so this is where all these risk factors, why they're associated, um, this is why and we've simplified it down to six, that if you if you do your exercise, that's going to help the motor side of it. Um, if you do the right kind of exercise, you can stimulate the sensory side to the motor side. Um, but that that's why it's just a very complicated control system that involves many other physiological systems. So anything that happens in any of those others can affect balance and therefore um, be a risk factor for falling. Uh I imagine the looks you get when you, you mention the different types of exercise that, that people should be doing, right? Um, soccer, um, different, you know, hiking. What would you recommend for um, an older person that is living at home? Um, maybe they have a, a family member that comes over once or twice a day. What do you recommend for them? Yes, and I don't, I don't exactly recommend that those are the ones that you should be doing. I was really just trying to illustrate a point that um, you, have to, you have to think about uh, what is your exercise actually challenging? What is okay. it improving? And you know, for swimming, we know it's improving aerobic capacity. We know it's improving flexibility and creating um, more strength. Great things. Um, 
But is it challenging your balance? No, it's not. Um, and so whatever exercise that somebody chooses to do, it needs to be the thing that their body needs to improve themselves the most. So if you did have a vestibular deficient individual, um, you'd want to do things that really help them to um, use their vision and use proprioception, use the information from their feet to help them balance because you know that the vestibular signal isn't really working very well for them. So this is where that personalization is so critical. There's, there's no one exercise that does it for everybody, um, but you do want to um, understand how you can stimulate that body, that particular body's system so that they can improve. Very good. Cool. Excellent stuff, Dr. Forth. So I understand you have a virtual summit coming up uh, later this month. Can you talk to us about that? We do, yes. So we, um, we've we got a lot of content that we're excited to share with people. Um, really, when people talk about fall prevention, it can be so dry and dull and often it just equates to talking about non-slip mats and making sure you don't have rugs. <laughs> so we, we're trying to push far beyond that. Let's get into the really interesting things about balance and fall prevention. So we've got three different main topics going on and um, we've got some panels of experts, industry experts. We've got a clinical panel that's talking about, all right, in healthcare, what can we do? What's the missing piece that that doctors need to be doing to try and help their patients better. We've got um, on the bottom right, we've got senior living and in the community, public health, what can be done for the, the interventions and programs, for uh, prevention programs? How can we make this better? Um, and really what this comes down to is the fact that the needle isn't actually changing at the moment. So clearly we need to be doing something a little bit more um, dramatic than, than the safety recommendations that are currently happening. And then um, perhaps one of my favorites is the older adult fitness, which is, hey, what's the secret sauce to being successful as an older athlete? And um, we've got a very well decorated senior athlete there who's going to talk to her experience and professional athletes themselves. So it's going to be full of all sorts of interesting content. We're going to be uh, reviewing balanced products in a gift guide for leading up to the holidays. And we're going to be giving balanced samplers. So um, the questions about which balance exercise, well, we're going to actually be um, showing some of the novel ideas that are out there, um, some of the services and products that we've been learning about. Um, parkour for older adults. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so um, I highly recommend that everybody goes to zebrio.com where they can register to, for this summit and they can uh, they can pick and choose which bit they want to attend. It's all virtual and it's all free. It's We're just trying to help people learn and um, understand more about balance and fall prevention. And, and where else, Dr. Forth, can people find Zebrio besides for your website, Facebook, uh, Twitter, et cetera? That's LinkedIn, um, Twitter, and Facebook. Those are the ones, yes. Um, there is a bit of a presence on Instagram if we have some Instagram fans out there. Very good. Well, excellent stuff. Thank you, Dr. Forth. Um, this webinar, when it's completed today, it will be put on our YouTube page. Go to YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging, subscribe to that. We have quite a few webinars every week. You can find this also converted to a podcast. Find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, et cetera. Until uh, next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.